hidden behind closed doors. This is Beer and Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Michael, what are we discussing today? Oh man, today we're discussing John Carpenter's Escape from New York from 1981. Jason, what are we drinking? Today, we're sponsored by Naughty Pine Brewing Company out of Westlake Village, and we're drinking their Rye So Dark Black IPA. Cheers. Cheers. How are you liking this? This is good. We talked about black IPAs and their lows of yeah, this it, being popular or not. I, I think it was around 2010 that I would see them. They look like they're going to, oh, this is the new IPA. And it just disappeared. I'm starting to see a bit of a resurgence. Uh, went to Naughty Pine. Super cool spot. I'm really digging them. You know, tried this and I went, this is good. And then I reached out and a little email, a few emails back and forth. They said, dude, we'd totally like to support it. I went with uh, this. Here we go. It fits because this movie kind of takes place in the land of perpetual night. Yes. It's very, and it's very, it's pretty dark. It is. It's a very cynical film. Yeah. I love it. This is one of my favorite movies. Both in the cinematography and just the theme of the movie. It's, it's, it's a dark movie. But thank you so much, Naughty Pine. Super good. This, this is tasty. Roasty. Roasty, and yeah. Hoppy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I this, get a caramel. Mm hmm. A little toffee. Really maybe. Dark, dark color to it. This is good. Uh, and it's, I think it's. 8%. It's, so. <laughs> the reason I was thinking seven, I mean, eight's still fine. We're a professionals. <laughs> you do this for a living. I kind of do. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get this far in life. Like being a baby about drinking <laughs> no, it, does, it definitely has that roasty taste this is uh, good man I could I could sit down with this escape from New York okay. and a bunch of chicken wings nice that'd be a good time or a burger this box was, of chocolates <laughs> I'm glad you like it though I do. thank it's you again really Naughty good. Pine you guys are great and this is their 32 ounce pork can that they yes have, the uh, crowler yeah so it's naughty as in misbehaving as opposed to naughty K-N <laughs> exactly. Really like them. We'll have to get you over there because it, it's a cool little spot. What I love about them is they have, when you look at their board, it's just such a diverse amount of beers. Yeah, you go in, there's something for everybody. Like if you're a beer lover, this is the kind of place you want to go. They have IPAs. They have a Pilsner. They have a Belgian style. They have this. They have, yeah, it's just a great spot really Excellent. cool so i'm looking forward to like going back there again it's fun to get out of i live on the west side and yeah. you know sometimes people on the west side stay on the west side not jane and me <laughs> we get out get out to the valley we, <laughs> yeah exactly we drive we put in the footwork so, so michael this was your choice absolutely you know and here's the deal we both love this movie. oh yeah and we see it multiple times and, and i and this is one of those movies that some people and, and i get this online you probably get it too, where somebody will go, this is not a B movie. <laughs> you know, because people always still equate B with bad. Yeah. This is a B movie. I, I, and I always tell people when they go, B movies are like, excuse the language, they'll go, oh, they're shitty movies, right? And I go, er, pretty much everything John Carpenter has ever done is a B movie. Yeah. Oh, they get all up in arms. <laughs> and, and I go, no, it doesn't mean B doesn't mean bad. But this is a great quintessential movie. I'll be perfectly honest. Recently, I've had to travel a lot. As I think you did. Yeah. We've had a lot of things going on. And this was always going to be on, on our podcast at some point. We got we haven't done a John Carpenter movie, and we really should. Correct? I don't, 
going back, have we done any? No, it's funny because we talked about doing Halloween at one time, and then we did a pass on it. Yeah, um, I think we did uh, slasher movies. We probably yeah, mentioned it, we but mentioned we've never it. done an actual John Carpenter no, movie. Yeah, and we're gonna do them. You know, yeah. we have to cross the, that bridge at some point because they are so near and dear. Well, it's funny because I, at first I'm like, oh no, no, we're incorrect, but I think. Okay, no, we've done a Tom Atkins movie. Yes. <laughs> and I would associate Tom Atkins with John Carpenter, but we did Night of the Creep. So, no, we have not done a John Carpenter movie. No. Yeah. And, and you know, we're going to. But, I mean, honestly, I, it's I, a lot has been going on. And sometimes, you know what we got to do? We I call them layups. We got yeah. we to gotta do movies that are going to – we love finding new movies that we haven't seen that are, you know, a little yeah. more obscure. Sometimes you got to have something out there that people are going to know. But also, also an easy win where we don't have to watch it like four or five that's, times. That was part of it. To be honest, it was kind of an easy way out where I'll watch this anytime. I still watch this like three or four times. I own a special release with commentary. And don't you, if I'm not correct, own a Snake Plissken action figure? You're damn right. I think I picked it up at the Long Beach Comic Con. And if you watch our Instagram, you will probably see that because... You're damn right I'm going to use that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That just might be a post. Still have it. Still in the package. Oh, I want oh, to take it out. I want to take it out. This, we know this movie really well. It was kind of easy, but also it's, I, this is a great movie. It is. Real quick, if you don't know this movie. Made 1981. 1988, crime in New York. Across the country goes up like 400%. 400%, yeah. So they've taken the island of Manhattan, which I just love that they take like the richest, most hoity-toity place in the country. You know, Make it a prison. It's a prison. Put up a 50-foot wall to keep people in. And if you go in there, you're not coming out. It's a one-way ticket. And so what happens Although is... Although you can be, you can choose to be um, terminated and cremated before you venture in if you, if you so will. Again, such a dark... Nihilistic. I love it. I mean, I just love it because it, it I think that's Deborah Hill's voice. Yeah, it's funny who does some of the voiceovers yeah. on this. Or like, so, yeah, yeah it, and of course, something happens. Air Force One is taken over by the, I did write it down. I did, so did I. The yes. National Liberation Front of America. Yes. They're striking a blow at the fascist police state. It's secretly code David 14 is yeah. the name of the Air Force One for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. So they hijack it crash it into Manhattan in 1997 in 1997 now that's what it says 1997 now great so this is 26 years ago <laughs> who knew I know is that nefarious Federal Reserve bank robber and former yeah, special he, forces he was oddly he had he was in a special force team black blight Nice. <laughs> Snake Pull that Plissken. Out, you know. Nice job. Flew over Leningrad and Siberia. In a glider. In, in Two a gold fire. So anyway, the notorious Snake Plissken is being sent in. And Locked it's Kurt up. Russell. And yeah. this was a big... They wanted Charles Bronson to play this role. Who would have been 60 at the time, right? Yeah. And John Carpenter fought to get Kurt Russell in. And this was Kurt Russell before this. Grew up in the system, yeah. in, in the Disney system. And it's really interesting to hear him talk about acting because he doesn't take it, you know, he takes it seriously, but he's not so like the method. Like I've heard him discuss on commentaries where he said, he's like, I'm all about, he's like, I come from the school, show up and know your lines. He's like, I don't get into the method thing. Show up and know your lines. That's what you got to do. But he was going into like this new adult, he called it like, you know, adult roles. 
So John Carpenter fought with this. And one of the things, I guess, he weighed a lot more. So he had yeah. to really work hard to get into shape. And he's he's tight. He's, yeah. he's in great shape. Jane loves this movie for many reasons. One of the reasons is Jane has a huge crush on this era of Kurt Russell. And who doesn't? <laughs> and, and exactly what Michael said. Like he, I think about thirty making this role, and he had just come off from the seventies playing Dexter Riley and all those Disney movies. And in fact, the he Peter was, wore tennis shoes. Yeah, and, and the, the he played this, Elvis. That's how he knew John Carpenter. And the year this was released, he still did the voice because his voice is very distinct to Disney's Fox and the Hound. So he was trying to pull out and say, hey, you know, I'm more than just a kid act. And he's one of the kid actors who you don't hear about. Yeah, who don't hear about, like, man, that kid actor. Like, he, he came from a Hollywood family, and his dad was he, a stuntman. Like I said, yeah. grew up in yeah. the industry, you know. And, and he is. He made the successful transition. Yeah. Like, there are generations now who, don't, who, see, who probably have no idea this guy was a kid actor, yep. a child actor. They know him, you know, from stuff he's done in the last... I mean, in my lifetime, I know more of this, you know, even though I saw stuff like the computer yeah. wore tennis shoes and whatnot. And recently so, he played Santa Claus in like a Netflix. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So he's, 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 yeah, he's, he's great. You know, he seems like, a, he seems like, but in this, he's just, he's cool. Guy. He's got the eye patch. Yeah. He's cool. He does not give an F about anything no. because leave it. The other badass in this movie is Lee Van Cleef. There's some badass yeah. people in this movie. Lee Van Cleef. He's the warden. Police commissioner, Bob Houck president got into a Mork and Mindy egg, got into this red egg, and that's how he survives the plane crash. And they go in, and maybe one of my favorite of all time secondary actors, Frank Doubleday, plays a dude named Romero. Right? And, and Romero and Cronenberg. So yep. once again, John Carpenter is using names of other horror directors. Tip in the cap. Tip in the cap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that wasn't a mistake. Yeah. So Hulk goes in with his guys. They're like, we got to get the president out of there. He lands. This dude comes out with this insane head of hair. He looks like Naruto. My, my kids like anime and manga. Okay. Is that? Oh, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. So it's just this like mountain, this like tidal wave of hair. The way he walks, everything this dude does, so awesome. He's just a wonderful supporting actor. And he comes out, gives them a finger with the president's ring on it. And he says, you got, if you're not in the air in 30, he's like, if you touch me, he dies. If you're not in the air in 30 seconds, he dies. And Hulk goes, I'm ready to talk. And he's leaving Aunt Cleef. So he's just like, he's suffering no BS. And he goes, 19, 18. Like the dude is not talking. So they have to book it. And he goes, well, I've only got one other option. Notorious criminal Snake Plissken is about to go into my prison. I'm going to ask him. Why not? He flew a golf fire in Leningrad. Yeah. And that's what they need. Got to go in in a glider. And how does that go? How does that conversation go when he brings Snake Plissken into his office? There's a very famous line from this where Snake basically says, I don't give a F about your war or your president. He doesn't care. He is this anti-hero that came out of you know, in the seventies, because this was written. Carpenter writ, wrote this in the in the mid seventies. Yeah, you had Watergate, you had Manson, you had like the Iran hostage. New York was in a huge spiral. Oh, yeah. New, and, New York almost I, 
Did they? They might have declared bankruptcy. We, we we discussed this in episode six, 1990, The Bronx Warrior, which, which came rips out. Which this movie off shamelessly. I, I, oh yeah, and not we're, very well. I might add. It was just you know a general malaise in this country, and he develops the Snake Plissken character, who's and awesome. I, <laughs> I mean, we all want to be Snake. We want we want to be able to get crap done and not give and not, give a hoot. But yeah, how does the conversation go? It doesn't go well because Snake doesn't care and he's like you need to side now and he's like eh. i mean he just I, I think he even reaches over on the table and lights up a, 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 cigarette. a cigarette you know and he's like there's no smoke in here. yeah he, he doesn't Clear. follow any rules he doesn't care he's a, he's nihilism incarnate because he does he, he says you go in and do this because i know you are a skilled guy yeah. but also you can fly a glider you've done it we need you to take a glider and get the president and, he and, him, and you're pardoned. You're you're free. free. You are free. And he says, let me think about it. He says, let me think about it. He's like, you don't have any choice. And this is where, like, you keep the tension builds up because of time in this movie. It's funny because he says, yeah, like, we need we have 24 hours. And that time keeps, like, slowly diminishing even in front of him. Yeah. <laughs> Very like, well, it's 23 hours. And it's like, we got 22 hours. Yeah, it doesn't start when he starts the mission. It's like, it's starting now. <laughs> Yeah. So, so he he finally says, you know, all right, yeah. what the hell? Well, what else do I have to lose? Like, I'm going to go over there anyway. They're just going to send me over there anyway. So. Yeah, he's doing it on his terms. I'm going to agree to at some point, but it's going to be on my terms. And they need the present for a big plot point here. We're at war with Russia and apparently and China. For, and China for a while. Do they ever say this in the movie? No. They say there's a summit with Russia and China. The, but, the Hartford summit. <laughs> yes. But that's the thing. If you read about this movie, they always just say, just throw it off like, you know, oh, we're at war with China and, and Russia. It's never mentioned in the movie, folks. Yeah. I mean, we just take this from what? All they, all they say is that we are still at war. And yeah. then what we fill in since the, he flew over Leningrad and Siberia, and exactly. they mentioned Russia and China are going to be at the summit. Oh, yeah. We make all these assumptions. And we have the Bond moment, you call yes. it, because we both said it was Q. Is Tom Atkins as sort of the number one for Hulk? He's a guy that actually he does have care, like cares. Yeah. Hulk and Pliskin are kind of cut from the same cloth. Yeah, they're both just men of the mission. And Tom Atkins is sort of the conscience, where yeah. he's like he actually cares. I wanted him to say, "Thrill me." Oh, <laughs> dude, you always want him to say, "Thrill me." Night of the Creeps. Yes, episode thirty-two. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, going to plug he's, a lot of our episodes because all these actors have been in them before. <laughs> I love some of the old ones. So, there are some that I listen to. I go, yeah, we've, yeah. we've gotten better. Yeah. We've gotten better at this. So, no, but Tom Atkins is giving him weapons and, yeah. hey, here's the tracker to track the president because the president has this life meter. And here's one you can wear. Hit this secret button and we'll be able to track you. The panic button. This is your out and here's your weapons. And then one of the big things in the movie. So he goes to the next stage, and he thinks that he's getting a, a shot to kill any bacteria or something that he could that he might capture while he's in there. <laughs> and they shoot on both sides of the neck, and the doctor looks at Lee Van Cleef, Bob Houck, and he says, you got to tell him. And all of a sudden, Pliskin's like, what's going on here? And he's like, well, we basically what amounts to putting a bomb in you and you have basically now 23 and they change it like you have 23 hours like wait a second what have the 24 <laughs> what I kind of love about this though is if I'm the doctor I'm getting a few steps farther exactly. away because he goes tell him and he says oh there's these two charges next to your like main arteries in your neck 24 hours it dissolves boom pops you're dead 
He like grabs the. He's like, get that out of me. Yeah. I'm like, if I'm the doctor, I'm going like, I'm gonna walk over here and say, tell him, and then run out of the room. Yeah, exactly. Know? We get a little bit of a callback. He yeah. says, when I when I get back, I'm gonna, gonna kill, kill you, you. Yeah. to Hulk. Yeah. Also forgot because it is. It's there is some humor in this. Yes. He keeps calling him Pliskin, and Snake goes, call me Snake. There's another joke, which is every time someone oh, says... Oh, we're getting to that. Yeah. I wrote down every one. <laughs> every damn one. And, and I think, yeah, so when we get to that, we'll talk about that that joke. Oh, yeah. Oh, because it's coming up. It's like when we meet Cabby. Yeah, because it's now... Another we, person who was in another movie we did. Uh, but now we get to where they, we start talking about time where you see him constantly checking his watch. They're flying in. It's 2017. So, like, already, like, three hours. I know. I like he's, um, I, I would be worried. I think it still holds up. That glider sequence, because they did miniatures of Manhattan. And so that whole sequence with the miniatures and, and the glider, super cool. Still yeah. works to this day to me. Okay. And they worked with what they had. John Carpenter had hoped, I could have computer graphics yeah. doing the outlines of all of Manhattan. Couldn't afford it. So a lot of it they did with like black lights and reflective tape. So it looks it's an it looks like an animated outline of the World Trade Center, which is where he's landing. Yeah. They do a good job. It's interesting. John it, Carpenter mentions the budget yeah. several times in the commentary. Six, six million dollars. <laughs> and they shot in St. Louis. East St. Louis. Yeah. East St. Louis had a terrible fire not long before they shot, and it was devastated areas. When they did their location, they said, we can't do New York. Doesn't look run down enough. This is like, looks like what New York might look like. And did you read how they would get dump trucks in the morning and go to the dump and just pick up garbage and then spew it on the streets to make it, it look like... Dude, it was so nasty. And, and, and they would, they, con- they convinced the city to turn electricity yeah, off exactly. in a huge area overnight. <laughs> when they stage the plane crash, looks like a plane crash. Because it's a real plane that yeah. they bought from. There's a huge plane graveyard in Arizona that you could actually go and visit. And they bought one of the planes and dismantled it. And, Put it there, and yeah. people saw it, and they started calling the authorities. They did. They Then they said, they said, there's a plane crash in the middle of the street. <laughs> I think the president... What was the president's name? John Harker. <laughs> Might have crashed here. So, yeah, so he gets there, goes down, and he's walking the streets of East St. Louis. He does a great job because yeah. they shot in East St. Louis and then close to here, the Sepulveda Basin. They used walls. And John Carpenter, and it's great. It really is fun to listen to the commentary because there are shots, there are panning shots, the tracking shots even. We're in East St. Louis, and then it just does that great editing job where we go behind something that's kind of dark, and then suddenly there we are. We're in Sepulveda. We're in L.A. Yeah, and that's a full of Southern Basin. California. Yeah, yeah. It is has that brutalist architecture style that you've seen. They use that area for films. Like Absolutely. We've seen oh, yeah. um, Buckaroo Banzai. I mean, you even saw it. In it actually, looks dystopian. It chomps. <laughs> Get the f out of here with your chomps nonsense. No, it's a wonderful editing job, and it's, it's a, quite a contrast between this future that is all clean meticulous and then this rundown like falling apart done New York. it's medieval it's a place where people are fighting they makeshift spears that's what they're using it's and it gets Run to by the duke the duke of new york they number one <laughs> he's walking around man and he gets to you know he walks into a theater another just odd yeah. the Production design in this movie is so cool, and a lot of it they said it, it was it was just there. 
They did minimal because they found all these cool places to shoot things. They shot like the Wiltern and they shot, you know, East St. Louis game. They found an old abandoned train station they used. And it, but it's still, you know, finding these spots and then setting them up, staging it, all your composition. Because Snake walks in to this theater and these guys are putting on a show. They're singing a, a song about New York that, you know, everyone's coming <laughs> to New York. It seems like a Broadway show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, a Broadway show run by just drunks. I mean, <laughs> if you listen to the lyrics, like, if you shoot someone, you're going to be here. Like, there's so many people committing crimes that eventually everyone's going to be here. Well, it said, you know, crime has gone up 400%. Yeah. It's a vaudeville act. Yeah. That's what the, everything has been turned back. It's even described as a medieval picture. Because let me ask you a question here. Do you think, looking at the hero and looking how this movie ends, you know, because we, Michael and myself, have watched this several times. And Hard so to... I was trying to think of like different ways to look at this movie. And part of it is Snake Plissken is very much that, that John Wayne rugged individual character. And so all this nostalgia, these old songs, these old music that shows up a lot, they're trying to say, like, listen, if we could just get back to better times, we wouldn't have all these issues. I would counter that by saying where this is happening is where the worst of the people go. Those are yeah. the people. They go, we want to turn the clock back to the quote-unquote simpler time. And you go, no, that's not progress. That's regression. And that's why you're in here. That's why you can't be out here because we're trying to move forward. That's, that would be my counter to that. It's hard to consider Snake Plissken a hero. Snake Plissken is like one of he's the a, coolest, he's, iconic characters. and But at the end, when you sit back and look at what he, the choices he made, he is basically damning everyone to hell. <laughs> choices he makes are for himself. Yeah, exactly. He and then, and then he makes judgment. He, he passes judgment. Yeah. Passes judgment that concerns everybody. Yep. But we also get to, you and I separately yeah. came to, we meet one of our characters, yeah. Caddy, Caddy, Ernest Borgnine. Who was just, we just, just discussed him in our Johnny Guitar episode. Uh-huh. <laughs> when he was a very awful person. Yeah. And in this, it's like the Ernest Borgnine I grew up exactly. with. Like, he's a jokey, fun guy. And this is where we get, you and I both separately came to this, and it's the first time I've really thought about it. It This story reminds me of The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, a very Snake. dark version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you can't, you can't get more polar opposite than Judy Garland and The Wizard of Oz and Snake Plissken. <laughs> but there's so many parallels, even to the fact when he said, I need to see the Duke, he's like, no one gets to see the Duke because you're no one in the, no one odd. No one gets to see the wizard. And he picks up passerbys to become his troop that, you know. Picks up a little group. Yeah. And this is the cowardly lion. Cowardly lion, yeah. Yep. So he's walking in. Let me have another sip of the yeah. rye so dark. Fine. This is good. I mean, I've, I've had this several times now. I, I think yeah. now, now I've been there since I discovered it just a couple of months ago, maybe. Been up there three times. Found reasons to go. So I can always find a find a reason to go to a brewery. Picture Westlake Village on a map for me. Closest Whoa. cities. Um, Thousand Oaks. If I'm leaving, and, and I'm sorry, this is going to sound so Southern you California. One hundred one. Yep. You take you take four hundred five <laughs> north from where I live, West yeah. Side. Get on one hundred one to Ventura, and you're going to go past Westlake Village. You get off, but usually I go from Integrin. Okay. Because that's up in Moore Park. Moore Park. It's a whole different deal yeah. right there, buddy. So no, but it is. It's kind of. It's sort of. I would say. I north northwest of us, but yeah. I, you can't get really west of where we live. So it's, northwest of to, you, it's north. Because I would take various LA talk two ten, one thirty four, one hundred one. 
you we got to do it one of, one of these days. It's it's the next spot you got to go. You've been to some of the places. Yep, been to Anagram. You want to see where the sausage is made? <laughs> you, usually, I go to the breweries and, and get beer. That's my lot in life, and it's fun when we can both go do like the uh, the adult take take our you know our ladies and go to these places. And this is a spot we should go to. It's fun, and this this beer is fantastic. Yeah, I, it's good. Oh, this yeah, this thing's delicious. That roasty with the hoppiness. It's- this was one of the recommendations, and and the funny thing is, um, when Brittany, the owner, when she emailed me and, and she suggested this, and I thought, well, that's perfect because that's actually the, I was I was already thinking, I'm gonna put that on. You know, it's just a matter of what am I gonna put it on. And I went, oh, is it, we're doing Escape from New York. Good pairing. So yeah, so Snake is gonna go. He's tracking the president, and he's going to go down into like these catacombs, super disturbed. Like he it's just a keeps hellscape. It is, going dude. Down. It is. Like, well, it's it's like this combination weird S and M because people are down there almost like getting their kicks out of being you see, tortured, like, and like there are people it's going be, through hell. Like there's there's the there's, nine levels of yeah, hell, the exactly. circles of hell. But yeah, he goes down and Cabby Ernest Borgnine. He goes, he goes, hey, snake. <laughs> He meets somebody. You're not supposed to go. You shouldn't go down there. And I think is that we get our first. I thought you were dead. This is a, this is a run, the running gag that you were bringing up before. Yeah. But he goes down down below. And I just want to say because he's trying to play a somewhat anti-Western cowboy hero. There is a John Wayne movie, Big Jake, where the running joke is every time they introduce, they're like, "I heard you were dead." I, I can't find. Any other place that you would have this running joke? Okay. Well, I mean, John Carpenter is like notorious. He way old, yeah. he loves westerns. Yeah. I mean, and even the fight scene in They Live was a take on I think the the Quiet Man, but yeah. also there was a western that had this long. You know, he loves westerns, and a lot of his movies are just westerns. And even Kurt Russell said that he based his character on like how Clint Eastwood Clint Eastwood would act. <laughs> <laughs> That's a stretch. <laughs> Uh, Clint Eastwood or John Wayne? Clint Eastwood. Oh, Clint, just oh. like kind of like his Western hero, where he's quiet, doesn't say a lot. Totally makes sense. <laughs> he defies Cabby, and he goes down. And it's great. It's like it's what people would say about New York. Like, oh, they're trying to you know pick your pockets yeah. and set you up for scams. And these guys try, and it's you go ah, you're messing with the wrong <laughs> like, guy. Exactly. He just goes down there and starts beating the hell out of people, and then he finds George Buck Flower. Yes, of course, that was great. <laughs> Who, Jason? He's tracking the president, and he beats this dude. Is just beating this dude, and I get the feeling like that George Buck Flowers character. He wanted that. Like he went down there and said, "I want you to beat the hell out of yeah. me." I think he was enjoying that. It was just this, uh, this din of sadism yeah. and masochism, and just like you said, hellscape. It was a really disturbing place. It was. It's one of the more disturbing parts of this movie is his descent into there. Oh, it's it's really upsetting. But he finds what he thinks is the president, but it's George Buck Flower has the president's bracelet. And Snake, of course, in in a fit of rage, smashes it. So back home... They think the president's dead. (laughs) It's over. It's over. Donald Pleasance is gone. And he calls out... What's great is like the whole future, future thing with the trackers and all that kind of breaks down because their communications, they're giant walkie-talkies. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking giant. It's just <laughs> like, it's holding a radio to your head. But he says, hey man, the president's dead, I'm coming out. And that's when you kind of find out how... He said, yeah, yeah, you stay there. Yeah, you, you, I will shoot you down if you try to get out of there without the president. 
his thing is like, I don't care if the tracker's not there. Your goal is to find him no matter what, or you're just going to die. And I think he's trusting the fact that this guy was special forces, that he could track him down. But it is, like, weighs on his shoulders. He goes to and finds where the pot is, and he just takes a chair and he just sits I know, No, he's... he's, like, he's what just, am I going to do? Yeah, he's pondering his lot in life. And, and here's where another kind of creepy moment, yeah. because suddenly the crazies... Well, see, a guy come around and, like, hit on the manhole covers. And so all these creepy figures start popping up from underground. Sort of like you would think rats. Yeah. That's essentially what it is, but they're the crazies. And Snake is going, what's going on around here? And he finds refuge in a chock full of nuts. Yes. Which, if that's a New York staple. This We're in East St. Louis, but chock full of nuts was like, I, my assumption, I think, that's a New York thing. And then, oddly enough, that set interior was built over here, Indian sand. They used to do a lot of filming. Uh, it's a, it's a fun bit. It's a fun, they, and it's a fun bit of just filmmaking getting behind the scenes to, to go like as you watch because we all people most most people watch a movie never consider that but you go from that moment these people are talking yeah. to each other and then the next moment they're talking to each other you know what they're two time zones apart exactly we're doing all that it's, it's pretty interesting but yeah he finds he's, he goes and he finds a woman season Hubley oh, who is she Michael well she gets this sort of big moment in, in the credits and you always see season Hubley, season Hubley. And she's in the movie for about a grand total of two minutes. And she dies. And you find out, well, she was married to Kurt Russell at the time. Yeah, they have a son together. You get the second. Wait, you're Snake Plissken. Yeah, exactly. I heard you were dead. So Cabby <laughs> saves Snake Plissken. And he's playing that 1940s Bandstand Boogie. That's the name of it. Most people would know it from American Bandstand. That's what they, they even call it. I think they actually act had to ask Dick Clark. I think he owned the rights to it. I think they had to ask him if they could use it. The song is called Bandstand Boogie. I call it Cabby's theme. It's like Arthur's theme, but a lot more dystopic. Because Cabby's <laughs> been driving that cab in New York for... Like, you never find out okay. what Cabby's in there you, for. You said, you said, like, what could we talk about? Yeah. This. Because he said, I've been driving this cab, the same cab exactly. for 30 years. I picture Cabby... So that takes us to 1967. Yes. I picture Cabby not really having a clue what's going on outside his cab. Yeah, yeah. And he's just driving around. And all of a sudden, they're building this wall around Manhattan. And as the last bit, he goes, oh, oh wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be in here. He's trying to drive out. And they just put the last slat up. And they go, dude, you're not getting out. Yeah. You're in. Because... He's like in Berlin, in the, you know, right before the walls. Like he up. didn't like, know. I didn't get a chance to get out. Yeah. I'm stuck here. Because why is Cabby there? We don't know. He was just there committing a bunch of crimes, and they yeah. said, you get to stay here? Yeah. There was a part of me that feels like he drew the stupid lottery, missed my window. They kept sending these alerts like, <laughs> you need to get out of Manhattan. <laughs> because we're going to. 90 days from now, there was like. <laughs> 60 days and 30 days and then like day five he's like I think I got something on my calendar I'm supposed to do <laughs> right because he doesn't seem like an arch criminal no he doesn't no, he seems like he, a very good natured the whole Wizard of Oz thing he's the cowardly lion because he does flee he avoids trouble at all costs yeah. he also seems genuinely one of the true good people in this because he does go out of his way to rescue Snake on several even though he runs he always comes back and his conscience gets him. He always comes back to help. 
But he has a survivor instinct. Snake's going, I'm being chased by all these loonies, by all the crazies. And they, I'm I'm guessing these guys eat, like grab the girl. Cannibals. They, they're tearing, taking you down below. She does say, oh, they come up every 30 days when they run out of food. And I'm like, oh, what's, what do you mean by food? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And he's sitting there talking to Snake and he's lighting Molotov cocktails and Snake's going, Guy, we got to get book in here, buddy. And he's just, oh, snake blisking in my cab. And he's just throwing Molotov cocktails. <laughs> then we meet, I guess, the Scarecrow. The brain. With Maggie. Yes. Adrian Barbeau. The heart. Yeah, boy. Let me tell you, the heart. <laughs> two hearts. <laughs> I think and she's Adrian Barbeau, and she's gorgeous. She she's is. one of my childhood crushes. She's a knockout, and they dress her in a way that accentuates her beauty yes if you were a young man grew up in the 70s and 80s you know there's one of two posters that you probably had in your room <laughs> it's either the farrah fawcett red bathing suit poster or the adrian barbo lavender purple she's <laughs> oh, hot she's a smoke poster. show dude she is well, she was married to john carpenter at the time uh, yeah he was showing that off yeah <laughs> he was saying i am proud of my lady so the brain of course is stationed in a library. Another nice little piece of set direction is the library, and then there's an oil derrick in the library. It's so odd, so surreal. Not sure how that works. Yeah. I also, I'm like, I keep thinking, I don't think they're on the ground floor. But I, anyways. I didn't, I, I didn't either. I did at the point. USC, that's where they once again changed from St. Louis back to LA. Both those scenes with the brain inside they're in either the Doheny Library at USC or the Who's Library. The one with the, the one with the oil derrick is definitely the Who's Library, but they filmed It's a cool inside. look. Yeah. And we yeah. find out two things. We get our third, Adrian Barbeau Maggie. Yeah. She gives the third, I heard you were dead. Yes. To Snake Plissken. <laughs> and then we find out the brain, his real name is Harold Hellman. Yes. Then Snake and him have a past. Kansas City. Four years ago. Yeah. You know, Kansas City, there's a connection here. Yeah. It's uh, Lee Van Cleef in Kansas City Confidential. Oh, Michael, didn't we come in that episode 28? We did. This picture should promote itself. This episode promote itself, but it's like, it's great to have all these connections. To, hey, check this out. Yeah. Check it out, guys. <laughs> but my favorite part of that is he mentions the rest of their team involved in this Kansas City heist, and it's the, the classic bad guy name. That I'm Fresno Bob. Fres- yeah, dude. <laughs> I, I love it. I just, it's such a, it's so, it's just great. It's such a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful name. Fresno <laughs> Bob. But apparently Brain bailed. Awesome. I'm guessing it was the getaway driver. And he took off and he said, you know, oh, I thought you guys were dead. And he's like, do you know what they did to Fresno Bob? Apparently they didn't do do the same to Snake nice. Fliskin. Yeah, I'm guessing Fresno Bob got got the underneath yeah. New York treatment, yeah. and Snake somehow got away. But the brain's been working on something for the Duke. The Duke has been planning a mass exit over the 69th Street Bridge. They think, which that- by the way is a made up bridge. He made it up because he said we couldn't shoot on the actual yeah. bridges, so they found a bridge out in rural Missouri. Yes, that's where that's where and they he, went. And didn't he buy that bridge and then returned the bridge back? Like he bought it from the state for a dollar and they returned it back to them after the filming. Built the buildings that you kind of see. They yeah. built that. Yeah, it was really interesting. This yeah. is just some. What's great is when you listen to the commentary. He talks about you know, oh, if we had more money, and I kept thinking, I think you did great. I think sometimes yeah, you do a great job when you're sort of forced to do yeah. it because I don't know what you would upgrade in this movie because if you had more money you'd make Escape from Los Angeles <laughs> yeah 
Anyway. <laughs> Real quick, the score. It's a John Carpenter score, so it's minimalist. And a lot of times, there's no music. That's one of the things I think in an action movie nowadays, there's such a cacophony of music and everything inundating us. Like this movie would have like very simple quiet for a long time. So So, they're leaving and we get one of the single greatest entrances, (laughs) seriously, of all time. Isaac Hayes is the Duke. There's a whole convoy of cars. He's driving with like a Lincoln Town car and it's got chandeliers. Chandeliers on the front hood, the back, and a disco ball hanging from the rearview mirror. (laughs) And he's just cool, wearing like this sort of cowboy hat, being Isaac Hayes, being badass. And of course, Cabbie Bales. Because he's the cowardly lion. And Brain and Maggie go, Snake, we gotta hide. And Snake is just, No, no, Uh, I'm not. And then he goes, Ah, all right. (laughs) And And this is the point, too, where both the president, played by Donald Pleasance, and the Duke, they're two sides of the same coin. They don't really care about people that, even though the Duke is like, oh, I'm gonna try to get everybody out of here. He doesn't really care about people. He's only care about him eventually getting out. The group is a means to his end. It's that classic, at the end of the day, I will throw you off this bridge. You could help me get my goal. If he just runs up to the wall, he's done. But if he can get everybody, like, we're all going to get out of here together. And then he probably is just going to linger at the back while all of them die. And he can sneak through. You see it at the end because he does kind of on his own. It's not about getting them. It's about getting out. Which on one hand, I go, you sort of have it pretty good in there. Yeah. (laughs) You're the Duke of New York. I know. Everybody does your bidding. You've got Manhattan, the whole (laughs) island. It's a pretty decent sized (laughs) island, buddy. (laughs) The brain... Snake says, you got to take me to the president. He's like, they're at the train area. He goes, I'll agree to take you over there. But, and, you know, Snake does agree to take, get the brain and Maggie out. He's selling seats on that glider. But, yeah. But, but I think the glider is, is fit for two. And also, like, Snake knows, he already told them there's no way I could leave by the glider. So he's lying to them. But Harold at Double Cross and before, he doesn't trust these people. Snake is very much the cut from the same cloth as the president duke where he doesn't care about the other people he cares for himself so he's like yeah yeah sure of course i'll i'll get you out you know and he, he has no intention of getting out <laughs> the insinuation is <laughs> the insinuation <laughs> but they meet and it's a, a really cool space because that is the, it's, it was this abandoned train station in st louis that's where they're keeping the president everything goes wrong yeah. like snake gets him but then he gets caught and crossbows and throwing stars, medieval action. Crossbow in the in the leg. Yeah. And then Isaac Hayes comes in and he does this eye twitch thing, which yeah. apparently that was all Isaac Hayes. Yeah. He said, I want to do the and we get our next. Well, <laughs> I thought you were dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're done. You kind of think, oh, what's gonna happen now? Because it clonks him. The Duke clonks him over the head with a crowbar. Does that work? <laughs> Like it hits him in the neck, yeah. kind of neck low. I don't know if that really works. I never saw the Mythbusters on that. Yeah. I don't, I don't you know. You hit someone over the head with a crowbar. Do they just pass out and wake up without going, oh, my God, my skull is crashed. Now we're getting another great, like, Frank Doubleday, who's, you know, Romero yeah. there, because they're, the humiliation of the president. Yes. They got him, like, tied up on a wall. Duke is shooting at him with a gun. It's Pliskin's gun. Oh, yeah. The president has his briefcase, which has the sacred 
cassette. Yeah, it's funny that's very dated. <laughs> this is like 16 years in the future. Yeah. They didn't consider like, maybe technology might have moved beyond the cassette. Maybe a crystal. <laughs> <laughs> that just took me back. A giant to... laser disc. <laughs> <laughs> the crystal just took me back to a uh, metal storm. <laughs> yeah, that's how we store information here. Crystals. <laughs> Brain wants Snake alive. Yeah. The first few times you see this and you're not thinking about it, Brain wants him alive because he's not sure where the glider is. And that's all Brain. Yeah. Brain is shackled to the Duke. And he sees the glider. However Snake got in, Brain can get out. He says, we need to keep Snake alive because he wants to find out, you know, hey, if I have to leave Snake behind again, yeah. Fresno Bob his ass, I will. Yeah. But if I can get this glider, however, I can get out and then I'm free of the Duke. And the Duke is too busy humiliating the president. And Romero is just doing this amazing laugh. He's just, I can't tell you how much I love that secondary <laughs> character. He's so creepy. Just so disturbing. And they finally shoot this briefcase open. Romero goes up, picks up the cassette. He smells it. It's a weird thing. And he keeps the cassette. And I think he has no idea what's on the cassette. But they do decide, you know what? We're going to wave down the chop, and it's one of the few light scenes. It's sunrise the next day. We're going to wave down these choppers from the USPF, the United States Police Force, and they leave the briefcase and they pick it up and they go back to this sterile dystopian environment where Bob Hawk and Captain Remy are looking at. It and they're like, "This is actually just a ransom. We want amnesty for everybody else. We're going to kill the president." Unless our demands are met, we're going to march over this bridge. And some night goggles. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this one guy who's, I guess, from the government, we assume, yeah. who's always kind of hassling yeah. Hulk about everything. He goes, like, he's like, aren't these your mans? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like he failed, huh? <laughs> yep. And so it's like, he goes, Ugh. okay, we're going in. I remember those same government employees were working for the Bronx Vigilante Force in 1990, the Bronx Warriors. <laughs> we get to apparently what was one of the most physically taxing, Ox Baker. Snake is captured, and they go, hey, we're just going to do, like, gladi gladiator fights. And do you think they chose a gladiator fight to represent? Because, you know, Rome, when you think at the end of Rome, that's decline. Like, it was just bread and circuses, gladiator fights. You know, as we're declining, we're just going to give something to the masses. I'm thinking deep on this, Michael. I think that kind of was what was going on yeah. here. It's, a, it's like decadence. Everything's falling apart. We're being stripped down to, like, at some point, if this keeps going on, we're going to become cavemen. What's below all those crazies is kind of what we're all going to become. It's just this decadence, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to bring in a seven-foot professional wrestler, Ox Baker. Kurt Russell has said many times, he's like, he said that was like two, they filmed this over two or three days, and he's fighting, and they're using, the bats had real nails, and they're swinging these bats. And again, Kurt Russell against a guy, he was about seven foot. Ox Baker was a giant. His big catchphrase was, I like to hurt people. Wrestling world, that was his thing. And John Carpenter said at one point, like he was doing something and he cut his leg. And John Carpenter mentioned, he said, he said hey, you want us to get that looked at? And he, he just went, get what looked at? Yeah. And he hated the fact that he lost this fight. Even though going in, he go, you're not the main character. Yeah. So they had this fight and he's like, they're holding the, the shields at one point, they're trash can lids. And he's swinging at Kurt Russell and he's like, He's really swinging yeah. at me. And he's like, those are real nails. <laughs> he said this was tough as hell. Yeah, I read an article where Kurt Russell said, you know, he goes, I had to remind him. You have to take it easy. We're playing a little too tough. 
he apparently at one point yeah. he took his bat and yeah. basically put it in his crotch yeah. and said keep it up and i'm gonna hit you here yeah. because uh, then and this is mind-boggling to me when he kills him he hits him in the stomach and he hits him on the back of the head yeah. they put a piece of wood on the back of ox baker's head real nails in the bat kurt russell had to hit him and make the nail stick movie and, magic yeah well i mean no i'm just saying in the sense of safety yeah like whoa dude is that really there's got to be another way but while this is all happening while he's fighting this you know gladiator this giant maggie and brain want to go see the president yeah. and i think it's kind of cute that they they're holding him in the executive room yes apparently they go in there's the president donald pleasant's wearing this like long yellow wig and apparently he wanted to wear it. Like that, that was no, his. that was his choice. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know this until I heard the commentary. Donald Pleasance was in World War II. He yes. was he was a pilot. He was shot down in Japan and he was captured and he was tortured. It's interesting because we have multiple actors: Harry Dean Stanton, Lee Van Cleef, Lee Van Cleef, Ernest, Ernest Borgnine. Borgnine. Yeah, all U.S. Navy during World War II. And Donald, Donald Pleasance was RAF. So. Brain and, and Maggie end up saving him. We're going to get you out of here, Mr. President. Uh, the whole time I'm thinking, huh, I wonder who's going to get left behind because there's only like two seats in that glider. Exactly. <laughs> and I just picture poor Maggie standing at the top of the World Trade Center going, ah, this is going to be a tough one. <laughs> so Snake sees the guy who's wearing his own panic button and he sets it off. The raid is called off because they know Pliskin might be alive. And then we get the shootout. They're attacked on the World Trade Center. They lose the glider. Snake has, of course, tracked them down at this point. They're zipping around Manhattan pretty well. Without a lot of cars and the subway system, they're getting places a lot. It's like, they're because everything isn't happening happening in like a two-block radius, yeah. I assume. And this is when Cabby shows up for the, the final save. The big payoff, because, of course, Brain goes, you know, I swear to God, Snake, I thought you were dead. And Snake goes... You and everybody else, <laughs> which is great, because we hit the final chase. Cabby comes, you know, hey, Snake Bliskin. Romero is wearing Cabby's hat, yeah. and he traded to get it. And what he traded was the cassette, because Cabby likes music. Yeah. So a little bit of movie magic again. St. Louis. We've shot in L.A. We've shot actually the, is it called the Marta system in Atlanta? And then for that final scene right before Cabby, he's actually in Century City. Like, it well, seems it, like it, a well, lot of work. Well, <laughs> that's the thing, Jason. Is it, it's so fascinating to me that it's a, it's a low budget movie. Yeah. How is that? Because I even think they got to shoot in New York on Liberty Island. Oh, they did, and they were the first film that was able to shoot on Liberty Island. And apparently, there was a bomb shortly before there, and it sort of <laughs> almost queered the deal. You know, where it was, oh, we can't do it. But yeah, they were the first ones. They were able to shoot there. He said they had to work their butts off to get to that. move around your crew to all those locations for a six million dollar budget. I know like, that seems like a lot. I know, but it was great yeah. because we do we get the final chase. They snake goes. Brain says he knows he's got a map of where all these mines because going across the bridge, there's mines, mines all over. Part of me goes, why don't you just blow the bridge up? If exactly. You're, if you're the police force. Brain says, I know where they are. And so Snake decides, I'm going to barrel onto yeah. this bridge at about 80 <laughs> miles per hour and poor Cabby's old cab. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And they're cruising along and the Duke is chasing them. And of course, ends up blowing the cab in half yeah. and Cabby dies. Cabby dies. So we're down. 
And then Brain, with his direction, he's going, you guys got to go to the left. He gets blown yeah. up. And Maggie goes, that's it for me. I don't want to go on it anymore. Yeah. She really does love the Brain. She goes, give me the gun. And she doesn't really succeed in killing the Duke. But Slows him down. Snake and the president get to the wall where they only apparently have a budget for one harness. Yeah. <laughs> one at a time, my friends. <laughs> Which the, the president goes up. And then, of course, the Duke, there's a fight. Yeah. And Snake's going up, and the president stops it so he can kill the Duke. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, ah, you're the Duke of New York. Yeah. You're a number one. <laughs> Do you think it's odd that Donald Pleasance, he never tries to modify his English accent? And I'm thinking, well, how did he become president? <laughs> I know. It's, it, no, you're right. You know, I mean, although it's a different time. They did yeah. just make Manhattan yeah. an entire prison. Maybe they said you don't have to be born in the United States to become president. Whatever. <laughs> Donald Pleasance had so much fun with those roles. Donald Pleasance has not been in one of our episodes. However, there's been a movie, The Devonsville Terror, that we've talked about a long time of eventually doing that as an episode. Yeah. That he's in. So when I was going through it, I was like, no, no, we, we did cover Donald Pleasance at one time. And then I went back and like, no, no, no. That, that's just we've what I've been... caught to talk about this movie. I've been threatening <laughs> you. I've been threatening you with that one. It's a fun movie, and he's in it. Yeah. But you can totally tell that they just... He said, I'll be in your movie, but I won't go anywhere. Yeah. So they went to L.A. and just found a little place, just shot him in a room. Because he does, he just pops up periodically in a room somewhere. <laughs> you know, Snake gets over and he goes, hey, you know, deactivate these, yeah. you know, explosives in my neck. And of course, Hal goes, I need the tape, pussy. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it, man. Leave me alone. So he gives him a tape. They deactivate. Of course. Like two seconds left. Yeah. Whoa. That's how you do. They create tension in the movie. Apparently, the initially, they said they were going to say, yeah, there was never anything there. That was there the. Was, oh, really? Yeah, they they were gonna say, nah, there was really, it was just we just tricked you, but they thought, nah, that we got we got to do that. So Snake has to have a few words with the president, man. <laughs> I think he's feeling this guy out. And you know, my point is on that tape, the president discussing, saying, listen, let's end this war. We have nuclear fusion or nuclear is it fission? fission. I think we have fusion. Yeah. I think yeah. it was fission, fission that they like say cold fission. Like yeah, it, it can solve all the world's problems. Yeah. And Snake has done the old switcheroo. This conversation <laughs> with, decide the fate of the world. Like if he likes the president or not. If the president cares that people died. Curious like Snake doesn't seem like a caring person to begin with. I think he thought Cabby was someone who probably didn't deserve this. I don't think he cared about the brain or some other no people. well the brain bailed on fresno yeah, exactly, bob man exactly dude fresno bob was a good guy so it's funny <laughs> that his just his opinion is like is this is this president you know of that caliber where he's gonna say yeah I'm, I'm i'm sorry that these people died to get this and if he doesn't like how the president issues that statement he's like kind of hey, yeah this parallels the very beginning he's like i don't care about this or your president or this war i don't care keep on being me so what happens? <laughs> I mean, if the president doesn't give him the answer he really likes, yeah. and, he, and he just kind of goes, huh, throws his cigarette in the ground, yeah. flicks it, and he walks away. And Tom Atkins' character, yeah. Tom Atkins gives him a great look because he sympathizes with yeah. Snake, and he just kind of looks at him like, ah. So Snake's walking away, and there's Hulk, and he goes, you going to kill me, Snake? And he goes, I'm too tired. Yeah. Maybe later. <laughs> And he gives him a speech about, you know, I want to hire you for something. Yeah. You know, we could, we'd be a great team, Snake. And he turns around and goes, the name's Pliskin. Yeah. Which he had been saying the, <laughs> the whole time. Tell him, call me Snake. 
And he walks away, and the president gives his big speech. And then they play the tape, and it's basically Cabby's music. Cabby's theme, man. <laughs> Bandstand boogie. Like, we can all work together. And Donald Pleasance gives this wonderful reaction. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> I just, ah. Oh. If you get a tattoo of a giant cobra snake on your stomach, and you don't want to be called snake, <laughs> you know, get the name's, the name's Cobra. <laughs> I'm the hooded one. My nickname's the hooded one, because they have the hood. It's the hooded it's one. The serpent. You guys don't even know. God. Dude <laughs> yank- does all yeah, the hell. He's yanking the tape out, and he just, he knows, I don't care. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I just got a pardon. Yeah. F everything. Yeah. I'm just going to go off because I'm Snake Plissken yeah. and things are going to be cool with me. And I, I would go back and I'd say, hey, Snake, by the way, um, before all this happened, you were about to go into a prison. Exactly. You know, you're out there. Ooh, D.B. <laughs> Cooper never getting caught. You, you were about to go get tossed into a prison that you can't get out of. And so the, the movie begins with this narration about this the violent change in the United States. And then it ends with someone basically dooming us to more war and violence because he destroyed the one tape that could have brought the world together. I would also say, you know, if that tape was everything, like if they don't have a backup, yeah. that's on them. Well, also, why can't the president just say, hey, um, we got, you know, nuclear fission. Let me play this tape for the scientist. Yes, I, I, I think the stuff that they wrote out. I'm Troy McClure, and I'm going to talk to you about nuclear fission. I think the fishing thing exists beyond the cassette. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think if it's there, it's like that tape wasn't going to be the end-all, be-all, they think. But I, I just think within the the, the world rule. of the movie, it, it, was, it was. And it just showed like Snake Plissken went, I don't care. I do what Snake Plissken wants. And the Big Lebowski, what were those Germans? They were like, we're nihilists. Yeah. No, it, no nihilists. Like, we care about nothing. Yeah. You know, it's like, he doesn't really even care about himself because he, he was thinking... I don't give an F about your president. Now, he cared about honoring Cabby. That was the only... Probably, thing. yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, why would he... Like, I mean, well, granted, it's probably the only other cassette tape that he had was Cabby's music. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> not, it, it's not like they're Music Land yeah, like, or Sam Ugh. Goody. It wasn't like he was popping into the Sam the Goody or the... Mu- 1970s music. power ballads. <laughs> let, me, let me choose that one to give the Oh, I wish I had my K-Tel. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So, I mean, I, I think it's... it's. Let's just do it. Yeah. You recommend this movie? I, I absolutely do. I've seen this multiple times for a low-budget movie. It is pretty remarkable. You could watch it now. You know, some of the tech is, is a little dated, like cassettes. Oh. And, but it still, ta- it still stands. I think part of it is that it's just such a dark vision of the future. And they're able to world-build really well without giving a lot of information. So absolutely, I recommend it. It was your choice, so... I'm not kidding when I say this is one of my favorite movies. John Carpenter is a great filmmaker. Coming from you know a film background, I've hung out with some pretentious-ass people in my life. <laughs> you know, and you do. You talk about like, hey, what are great movies? What are great movies? People are always throwing out eight and a half. You know, and it's great. And which no, they're fantastic. I only watch something. Fellini movies. Yeah, it, yeah, and and they do. They, and Bergman. They, they're digging deep and they're going into Europe and they go and and I'll say something and I'll mention a John Carpenter movie like The Thing and, and I'll go, that's one of the greatest movies ever. They'll be like, oh, oh what? And I go, prove me wrong. That's your job. This is a great film. This isn't just pulp. 
This is a great film. The characters in a short amount of time, you really get to just get a little bit of great, you know, characterization. It's a well shot film. It's a yeah. visually stunning film. And John Carpenter did, like you pointed out, did the music, and the music it starts off. It's oppressive, heavy music where you're like, oh, I'm going into something that's not good. Super minimalist, yeah, yeah. heavy on the bass, gets you right there. It's like a mood, sets it for the night. I think everybody should watch this movie. And the poster's iconic, and it flashes back to like Planet of the Apes with the head of yep. the, the Statue of Liberty being in the middle of the ground. Man in the High Castle. Yes. You know, seeing that. It's like just that dystopic, everything's going to hell. Yeah. And like <laughs> our hero is a one-eyed nihilist yes. who doesn't give an F about yeah. anyone. A criminal. Yeah. Ro- robbing Straight things. Straight up criminal. Him and Fresno Bob. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so no, I do. And I, I mean, I, I will say... Naughty Pine. Naughty Pine. Thank you, guys. Rise So Dark, Black IPA. Hell yeah. Fantastic. Absolutely. I want to see these guys blow up, just start getting out everywhere. Yeah. I will sing the song for Naughty Pine because they're, they're new to me. We're going to link out to it. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Get ready for that. But thank you guys for supporting us. I hope you like the movie. Yes. I actually, I told the owner, I, I said, this is the movie. And she said, cool. You know, if she check it out. I hope she does. And I hope she <laughs> likes it. You know, like, hope she doesn't go, holy oh crap. Oh my God. Yeah. What is wrong with what? <laughs> Number the, one. What choice? <laughs> I'm not a Lee Van Cleef fan. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. Beer and B movies. You are on my shit list all of a sudden. Sorry. I think that kind of wraps this one up. Absolutely. This is Beer and B Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael.